Welcome to Mastery in the Making, a fresh new podcast by Le Cordon Bleu Australia. Join us as we deep dive into the minds of industry experts, entrepreneurs, and the voices of Le Cordon Bleu, the world's leading education provider in culinary arts and hospitality management. From expert lecturers to our incredible students and alumni, we'll uncover the secrets, stories, and skills that make this industry a world of endless possibilities. So, if you're a seasoned chef, aspiring hotelier, or simply want to keep your finger on the pulse, consider this your ultimate guide to culinary and business innovation. I'm your host, Stephanie Valudos, and welcome to Mastery in the Making. Thank you for joining us on our very first episode, and boy, do we have a treat for you. Now, to kick off the series, we are going to go on a little journey down memory lane, uncovering Le Cordon Bleu's rich 129-year history. How did it go from a humble Parisian cooking school to a global institution? What significance does the Blue Ribbon hold? And who is Julia Child? Now, to help me answer all those questions and more is none other than culinary mastermind Mr. Gabrielle Gatte, who joins me now from Melbourne. Hello, Gabrielle. Good morning to you. How are you? (laughs) I'm well, thank you. That's good. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, Gabrielle, you don't need too much of an introduction. Your culinary journey has been nothing short of impressive. You are a television host, presenter. You are an author of 23 cookbooks and you're also a cookery teacher. Is there anything you are yet to achieve in the culinary world? Plenty, plenty. There is so much. Um, I've been I've been a chef for fifty two years. That's when I started to my apprenticeship. But there's so many things you can do with this profession. You uh, first you are uh, a communicator of of taste through your cooking, but also uh, in my work it has always been about communicating through television, through radio. Uh, I was the food editor of Better Homes and Garden uh, for. Uh, six, seven years, I worked for Home Beautiful, uh, I wrote lots of articles. So basically, uh, with communication, it is endless. There's uh, always more that I could have done, but I don't regret anything because I've done plenty. I'm still doing a fair bit. Yeah, absolutely. And now take us back to when you first started your culinary journey. What sparked your interest in cooking from the get-go? Well, to start with, I think I became a, a chef because I love food. I love good food. I uh, get lots of pleasure out of uh, eating, out of sharing a meal. But also uh, in my family in France, on the Loire Valley, in the Anjou region, uh, I, I was born in a small village where we... Um, we had uh, a, a large vegetable kitchen garden. Uh, we had a small vineyard. Um, my grandmother had been, uh, you could call her a cordon bleu because she had been a, a professional chef in a family. She was the private cook of a family. Wow. And so she lived with us, but she, she had retired by that time. And so she was the family cook. So she was a really good country cook. She was, uh, she just, knew how to prepare whatever was in the garden or if someone brought a hare or some fish from the river, she knew what to do with it. No recipes needed. 
No, I think she had, I remember she had a little notebook. I think it was more like the pâtés and the terrines, you know, those kind of quantities that mm-hmm. you needed to measure all the cakes. Apart from that, it was just from memory, from uh, the savoir-faire, the French savoir-faire. People, things are passed from one generation to another. Mm-hmm. And she was the one who kind of instilled that in you. So I understand she taught you how to cook. She certainly um, encouraged us to contribute to the family cooking. And because she was so lovely with us, she was a really good grandmother. She was very encouraging. It was fun. It was not something that we worried. You know, she, it was not, you know, serious. We had fun cooking. She was, you know, she just helped ask us to, to peel and to go and get things in the garden and to chop and to stir. And without realizing that that's what cooking is, you really, it's like speaking a language when you're native of one country, you don't realize you are learning the language. And with cooking, ideally, it is the way to go is that you are learning without realizing that you are learning. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that your grandmother told you or any advice that she gave you along the way that's really stuck with you to this day? Well, I think that she certainly always talked about what was in season because there was no other ways, you know, like, uh, and, and the freshness of the ingredients, you know, they raved about the quality of the garden, mm-hmm. you know, quality of the vegetables. We used to, when we had visitors, friends and family, we used to take them in the garden to show them how, you know, the wonderful the tomato looked or how there were plenty of pears in that year or the you know, look at the strawberries or the artichokes or the asparagus. And it, it was just out of uh, freshness. You know, it's just because you saw a fresh ingredient and you knew you could have good, a good meal because mm-hmm. the ingredients was fresh. Mm-hmm. So you obviously lived and breathed food from a very young age. How did yes. you then get into the hospitality industry? Did you do any formal training or was it just by chance you ended up being, um, you know, it, cooking in restaurants and that kind of thing? Uh, it, well, it was not by, by chance. At, at some stage I, I had to decide what I was going to do and um, I told one of my teacher to uh, that I, you know, maybe love to be a chef. I was not quite sure how to go about it because in my fam- family, we, we really had very well, but we, we were not uh, going to restaurants a lot because we, we didn't, didn't to, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, in the country, you don't go to restaurants except if you have to. Yeah. And so in that situation, we, um, I had to ask someone and my teacher said, oh, I know the, the best chef of the region why don't you go, go and visit him? It was 80 kilometers away. I went there on my bicycle with my dad and uh, talked to him. And the chef says, you know, um, yes, this is what you do. You, you know, we, you, you start an apprenticeship. And I think he liked me. I suppose I, I was listening to what he was saying and um, was fit. <laughs> I think it's important. And, and he uh, said, Listen, if you want to, we are looking for an apprentice, you can start uh, more or less straight away to, you know, to be my apprentice. So that was really a strike of luck, mm-hmm. except that 
I had pedaled for 80 kilometers to go and visit him in his restaurant on the Loire Valley. Wow. <laughs> now, when you say <laughs> teacher, was that a teacher from like a culinary school that you were studying no. at? No. No, no, it was a school teacher. Um, I think at that time, young chefs mostly, uh, to become a chef, you mostly did an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. And then you went to, uh, to, to school, to tech school once a week yeah. or once a month. Uh, depending on on what, and uh, so basically you really learn from uh, from the chefs you were working with, and in my case it was a very very good chef. Mm-hmm. He, he was uh, a master chef, a maître cuisinier de France. He had mm. done uh, competition, he had been successful, and he was the best chef of the region. So it was, and and he was fifty seven when I started to work with him. So it was a chef with so much experience. Yeah. That's the key. Wow. Uh, it was very lucky to have someone. And his, his dad and his grandfathers were chefs. So mm-hmm. they, uh, you know, it was just uh, lucky. How old were you at the time? I was 16. Wow. Yeah. My yeah. goodness. And that, at yeah. that age, you knew that this was what you wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I certainly, uh, it was a good, a good path, very difficult. It was because it was very demanding at that time. We we still work with charcoal in the kitchen. We um, uh, the days were very long. Uh, the, the it was a Michelin star restaurant uh, with rooms, so we had to get up to put charcoal in the stove at about six thirty in the morning in order to cook breakfast, and then we were still in the kitchen uh, cleaning at eleven o'clock at night. And wow. So it was. Uh, long hours, mm-hmm. but at the same time, uh, you learned a lot because we made all the pastries, we made all the ice creams, we got the pheasants, the the game with the feathers or the you know the hair, the skin, the fish was not gutted, it was mm-hmm. not filleted, it was. So you had to do everything from scratch. Yeah, yeah, wow. So you worked in France for a little bit, then you went over to London, I believe, for a, a yeah. while as well. Yes. So from my, after my apprenticeship, I worked in in Paris in a really good seafood restaurant, and it is interesting because it was that restaurant had been open since eighteen seventy four. Wow. And I was there in nineteen seventy four. So we were celebrating uh, one hundred years, and it was. Purely seafood. The, the the owners had fishing boats. The family had fishing boats on the coast, so it was the freshest of the freshest. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, I really, I've always loved. At that time, I love seafood. I love seafood. Seafood is great. Chefs mm-hmm. love to cook seafood, and in France, we are doing it very well. And then after that, um, I thought it would be good to have an, an international experience and. And more importantly, because I, I could see that the world was changing in terms of communication, I wanted to improve my English. So I went to work for the Savoy Company in England, uh, which was um, a group of uh, five-star hotels, top, top, mm-hmm. top hotels in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I worked, I got a job as a, a chef entre métiers, which was, I was in charge of all the the vegetables and the preparation of the vegetables and some a few other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a brigade. It was a hotel that had where there was about forty chefs 
between uh, all the sections. There was a bakery, there was a pâtisserie, there was a, a large carte de manger. So it was a, a quite different experience from I had done before, which were basically small gourmet restaurants. It was a bit more of a larger organization. Mm -hmm. And I think as a chef, uh, you need, or as a, someone in the industry, you need to really work in different types of establishments in order to really, uh, you know, increase your your knowledge and your experience. Yeah, absolutely. And then you found yourself coming back to Paris, and that's where I believe you met your lovely wife, Angie, who was studying the language, French language at the time, and she's actually from Australia. Yes, yes, I met Angie. Uh, but after after London, I must tell you, I spent almost a year in West Germany doing oh. my national service. Oh, wow, in, okay. Uh, in the French forces. So it was another experience. I was mm -hmm. cooking for officers for large numbers of people. And then after that, I came back to Paris because I wanted to work with, uh, you know, it, with some great chefs. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I really wanted to, to pursue the the fine dining experience. Yeah. And, and that's at that time that I met Angie. She was actually, Angie is uh, a little bit older than me. Mm -hmm. She was already a qualified language teacher uh -huh. in uh, in Australia. She's from Melbourne, but at that time she had been working in Adelaide mm -hmm. uh, as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And she uh, she was doing a, a course of, of French civilization at uh, university in Paris. And we, we met, fell in love. And after about a year, we decided to come to uh, to Australia because Angie could not um, could not work in France. Mm -hmm. She could study but not work. Mm -hmm. uh, at that time, there was no you know working holiday visa or things like that. So, yes. um, so we came we came to Australia and we uh, we came to Adelaide actually, where we lived for four years. Yeah, right. Uh, where I worked briefly as a chef, and then I started to freelance. Because after working in top restaurants in France, in 1977, the, the gastronomy in Adelaide was not as sophisticated as Europe. And so in order to do what I wanted to do, in order to, to grow, I thought I had to work for myself and to continue to educate myself through, through tests, through studies, through, through traveling. Mm -hmm. So I started to freelance and at some stage I even taught. Uh, I started to teach a class of uh, a course of nouvelle cuisine because that was my generation, which was a modern cuisine. You know, everything was. Uh, we were questioning the the healthy uh, aspect of our recipes. The serve were getting smaller. We were controlling the cooking of the ingredients a bit more, not cooking uh, food so much, vegetables and and meat. And, and fish, controlling the temperatures. And it was a cuisine that was a little bit more creative. We didn't feel that we had to stick to, you know, to all the, the classic dishes. Mm -hmm. we, it was a time of modernizing the, the cooking, still using classic techniques. Mm -hmm. And that's at, at the end, that's what is important as a chef is to learn the classic techniques, to learn the movements, to learn the, the cats, to learn, you know, to use knives, to learn to use your hands, to be flexible with your approach to to cooking. 
Yeah. So you came to Australia, did a bit of freelance, did a bit of teaching. How else did you establish yourself um, as such a prominent chef in Adelaide and then, of course, in Melbourne as well? Well, in Adelaide, what happened is that because I decided to freelance, uh, so I offered my services to, I went to uh, the television stations, I went to the radio stations, newspaper, and said, this is what I, you know, who I am. I'm a chef. I've trained with some great chefs. I offer my service to cook in people's place for their private dinner parties. And I went to Channel 10 in Adelaide. Uh, there was a show at that time called Touch of Elegance. And uh, the host called Jay Walton, she said, ah, uh, that is interesting. She said, actually, I would not mind you to come and cook a dinner at my place because I'm busy and I've got a, a dinner party organized. And I said, that, that's what I do. And so I cooked the dinner. She really loved it. Um, and she said, would you cook that dish, that main course dish you did uh, on my television show? Wow. <laughs> and I said, yes, of course, I would do that. And I had had a little bit of experience in uh, with the top French chefs in France in helping getting ready for television, mm -hmm. uh, you know, recipes and things. And so I went there, confidently, nothing to lose. And I was lucky. I was young. When you are young, you know, you've got to use your youth. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did that dish. I did actually cook a snapper, uh, went to the, to the beach, to Enle Beach, to get some, uh, some seaweed. And I cooked, steamed the, the snapper in foil using a base of seaweed and then serve the snapper with a beurre blanc sauce. That was a sauce that I could do very well because I was from the region. Mm. Uh, the, the dish was popular on television and she, uh, Jay asked me to become, uh, to do a regular segment on the show. Amazing. So that was my first television. In the, It was in 1978. Yeah, so wow. So it's a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, years ago. Yeah, and you were how old at the time when this was all happening? I, I was 23, 23 when I did my first television. My yeah. goodness. Yeah. And then it just yeah. took off from there. Well, it was a slow, you know, you didn't get paid. You had to give a lot of time. Mm -hmm. People were asking you to do lots of work for very little money. But when you are young, you survive. Yeah. You know, we live very simply. And, uh, and slowly I uh, got a name. And uh, with the television and the cooking class, I was doing the course at uh, Regency Park. I was also doing some uh, French cooking classes at the Alliance Francaise. Mm -hmm. and, and everybody was, and with the dinners, everybody was asking for recipes. And because I, my cooking was my cooking, I was always doing dishes that I would uh, create from what I could find at the market, mm -hmm. uh, what was in season, what I could feel. And so I decided to uh, to write a book, uh, and I could not find a publisher. So we decided to publish it ourselves with my wife. We uh, a large printer in South Australia helped us publish the book, mm -hmm. and it was called French Cuisine for Australians. And the book was a success, not not a bestseller, but enough to pay. For the cost that it had, uh, that that we had to print it, to put it together, and things like that. So it was a team effort. It was not just us. It was a very nice printer that had the right people helping us with putting the book together, with 
people helping with the editing, with Angie being a good linguist and things like that. Mm. And then uh, that was really the, with a, a cookbook out, uh, the cookbook came in 1981. Uh, then my name became uh, a national name because uh, the cookbook was like a, a passport, if you want. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like a, being a graduate from the Cordon Bleu. It's a passport to the world. And yeah. the cookbook, once you are the author of a, once you are the author of a cookbook, uh, people suddenly look at you a, a bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. And at that time, every year, there was only maybe 10, maximum, 10 new cookbooks in Australia. So wow. so the market, you know, like suddenly your name was was there. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Let's travel back in time to 1895, before you and I were born, obviously, um, but it's October. <laughs> it's October fifteen, I believe, eighteen ninety-five, and we're in Paris. What is happening there at the time? Well, uh, to start with, my grandmother was one year old. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going way back. <laughs> And uh, we didn't know she was going to become a cordon bleu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was uh, a lovely time in, in France uh, because they, before that, in the, the 1870s, there was a, a war against Prussia, which became Germany. Uh, time was difficult, and then it became it was la belle époque. It was a time of prosperity. It was a time where. Uh, the industrial revolution, lots of things were happening. People were enjoying enjoying the life, if you want, of prosperity, going out to restaurants, learning to cook. And there was uh, a journalist called um, Marthe Distel in, in Paris that was uh, that had a, a chronic, we call it, uh, you know, uh, a, a cookery column, if you want, that became very popular. People wanted to learn about the cooking from different regions, wanted to learn about the classic dishes and things like that. So she she did that column and then she realized that people were, you know, writing to her and saying, listen, we, uh, you know, it'd be nice to, to, see, uh, to see it done by someone. So she decided to, to start cooking classes and she she took the name of the Cordon Bleu because a long time before that, uh, the king Henry the the third had uh, had established you know uh, an order mm-hmm. uh, in which the people that had the order had the cross with a blue ribbon. Mm-hmm. Cordon Bleu means blue ribbon. Mm-hmm. And when someone joined the order, they had big festivities. You know, they are just uh, they celebrated with lots of food. And lots of good wine, and so there was an association between the order of the Cordon Bleu and, and the Cordon Bleu, and and good food and good wine. So I think she borrowed from that, and the Cordon Bleu, if you want, was born, mm-hmm. and and she was a, a very good communicator, and that that was the key. And I think over the years uh, with the Cordon Bleu. I think that um, the the organization had always had uh, the good idea of having people that knew how to cook, great chefs, you know, some of the greatest chefs in France. Mm-hmm. I've taught at the Cordon Bleu, uh, the Cordon Bleu at the moment, 
Eric Briffard, which is the head, the, the chef I know, I know him in France, is one of the best chefs in France, is the head of all the culinary you know, uh, activities. And I think that's when you have at the top of an organization, plus the family Quintreau, of course, that is a name that has always been with gastronomy for a long, long time. Mm. Uh, you know that it is uh, an, an organization that knows how to communicate the art of French cuisine. Yeah, absolutely. And on that launch date back in Paris, it's been said that they were cooking on an electric stove. So it's incredible to see how far we've come. Yeah. Well, it is quite amazing because um, when I did my apprenticeship, like 100 years later, or a bit less, you know, the kitchens were mostly charcoal. So that would have been I suppose it was maybe uh, because of Paris, mm, you know, mm-hmm. and because at that time, you know, uh, charcoal and you know, lighting a fire in Paris might not have been so easy. Yeah, but right. uh, because now, of course, it's uh, there's lots of electricity with inductions in cuisine mm-hmm. and cooking and things like that. So it has been an incredible journey. And, and the Cordon Bleu, of course, has become bigger and better. Yeah. Better than ever. I have visited myself quite an, a number, of course, of uh, starting with Adelaide and, and in Melbourne. Uh, two years ago, I was the, the lead speaker at the graduation of all the, the students and uh, can see the, the excitement of the, the students that have learned wonderful skills, mm-hmm. skills for the rest of their, their life. They, Many of those young people that have joined those courses are going to be top chefs or top restaurateurs or or run some uh, incredible places all over the world. Mm -hmm. Have you ever come across any throughout your career, whether it be Australia or globally? Many, 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 you know, here, there and everywhere. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Otolangi. you know, uh, did a stint at the Cordon Bleu, mm-hmm. Ma- Ma- Mary Berry, mm-hmm. Mary Berry in England. She's a superstar of, uh, she, she was there like a long, long time ago. Huh? Mm-hmm. She's probably like 80 years old. She's superstar of, of television. Well, of course, we all know uh, Julia Child. Yes. You know, uh, went there uh, in Paris when she was a, a young woman after having worked as, as a spy. Uh, during the war. That, I mean, that is amazing. Julia Child is probably the biggest name. Yeah. For, of, those who, uh, for those who don't know, who is Julia Child? So she studied at our Paris school. I think it was 1950. What was her claim to fame? I know she did a lot uh, with French cuisine, particularly in America, but can you explain, like, who she is? Well, to start with, she loved food. <laughs> she was a very, a very tall woman. Six foot two or something wow. like that, which is a bit unusual. <laughs> she had an incredible personality. She had a lot of charisma. She loved food. She loved studying. She had she had the brain. She studied cooking. She met a couple of French women with whom they opened a cooking school in the United States mm-hmm. after all of that. And they, they decided to write a book, a cookbook between the what was it, the art of French cuisine mm-hmm. or cooking or something like that, mm-hmm. in the United States, which became a bestseller, the three of them. The, the two other 
French women were very good too, but maybe not as good a, a communicator as, as Julia because she was imposing. If you have seen her cooking shows, it yes. just... So you look at her and you say, what a personality, <laughs> you know, and she, she's tall, she, uh, and she had a, a strong voice, you know, she, she had a voice like that. And, and now you get a very large chicken and we are going to stuff the chicken with some truffles. <laughs> you do that so well. <laughs> you do that so well. <laughs> I did a presentation when the film came out. And we uh, we had a discussion about and I watched lots of footage of her. <laughs> she was just incredible. Yeah. She just uh, she just could uh, you know you got you watched her and mm-hmm. you say gosh mm-hmm. and and so she basically introduced the United States to the art of French cuisine mm-hmm. because their cooking you know was not quite like that. Of course it might not be for everybody, but she became very, very popular on television. And she did some shows with other top chefs like Jacques Pépin, also a television, a French chef, television chef in the United States. And she's a very successful author, enormously successful on television until well into her 80s. Mm-hmm. So she had a, a long career and very respected and a woman that has really done good work with French cuisine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely, yeah, um, we're going to claim that as one of our top alumni, that's for sure. Now, for those who don't know, Le Cordon Bleu's trademark logo is a blue ribbon, which has rich history dating back to the 16th century when King Henry II created one of the most important orders in France. Symbolising this order was the cross of the Holy Spirit, which hung on a blue ribbon, which uh, translates to Le Cordon Bleu. Now, due to the prestigious nature of this order, the name Le Cordon Bleu became well recognised and celebrated, as um, we discussed earlier in the podcast. What's really symbolic about this blue ribbon is that to this day, our culinary students actually receive their medal on a blue ribbon upon graduation. Gabrielle, has there been a time throughout your career, whether it be here in Australia or in Paris or France, London, um, where you've come across a Le Cordon Bleu graduate who really is the essence of Le Cordon Bleu's blue ribbon of excellence? Yeah, you know, they are everywhere. They are <laughs> everywhere. I feel like everywhere you turn, any restaurant you go to, there is a Le Cordon Bleu graduate not far away. Well, I- I'll give you an example. Um, last year, with, uh, I have a friend called Philippe Mouchel in Melbourne. He's a top chef. He mm-hmm. used to work with Paul Bocuse. And uh, we were raising money for the Bocuse d'Or. It's a chef competition, international chef com- competition. And um, we uh, needed some, uh, some help. We, we, we cooked two dinners, actually, two groups of people paid $12,000 each for us to cook a dinner at their place. Wow. So that was really good money. And we had uh, a couple of graduated from the Cordon Bleu that came to help us. And it was wonderful, you know, to have that energy, you know, uh, young people that were starting their career that uh, wanted to work after testing the Cordon Bleu, which gives you a taste of the best, of the best techniques. Uh, the Cordon Bleu, wherever you are, in Paris, in Sydney, in Melbourne, in, you know, there's top chefs visiting 
you get inspired from them and those young people they want they have a taste of of success they say yes i'm going to continue at that top level and to have those two uh, young people i mean they were not that young they were not 16 and they were <laughs> you know like mid 20s or late 20s yeah very able very intelligent very well educated to assist us was was a joy for us because as you get older you need that youth you need that uh, speed mm-hmm. in the kitchen mm-hmm. so no and i've met I, I can dozens here and there you know yeah as you ask people where did you train on this i did the cordon bleu in paris i did that I did the the pâtisserie course i did this you know like uh, really good. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Le Cordon Bleu is what it is today? Like what what made it go from, you know, this tiny little cooking school to I think there's 30 odd um campuses worldwide. Why do you think that is? I think that because uh when you run a private establishment, you um you get a a really special clientele that is dedicated to it. So you get good students. Sometimes in the mainstream organization, that's the nature of it, mm-hmm. you get students that, oh, you know, I've got to go to the course and things like that. Where So you get dedicated students. And because it is so well known, you know that when you graduate from the Cordon Bleu, if you come to Australia, if you are from Asia, or if you go to Paris and wherever you you go, you won't have to explain too much when you are graduated how you did your training. Mm-hmm. So the fact that also it's an organization that has got lots of structure, so the, you learn the choreography of movement, you learn the basics of cuisine, you learn the the stocks, you learn the knife skills, you learn the, the sauces, you learn the, the fish. Uh, so when you are graduated, you have not just learned one thing, like if you do a course on just one single course on, on making risotto, you, you actually have a good balance of knowledge that will be useful for the rest of your career. So mm-hmm. it, I think it's a bit like uh, the international baccalaureate, if you as a student, it is recognized all around the world. You mm-hmm. know, like when you have so many, 20 countries, I think it is. Yeah, the, yeah. So it yeah. is, you know, a serious organization, the largest of its kind. We must not forget that French cuisine is probably, in my view anyway, um, the most uh, advanced, sophisticated cuisine in the world because it everything has been there's a repertoire of it. It's not just left, right, and center. We do a bit of this, we do a bit of that. It's, uh, there's the textbooks of French cuisine where, you know, from uh, a little cat, you become a sauce from, uh, from a stock, a stock, a chicken stock. You can make 20 different sauces with this. And all of that is written. All of that can be learned. All of that is, you know, registered. All of that is taught. So it is a, it's a complete learning process. Absolutely. And I feel like if you can master French cuisine, you can master anything. <laughs> I feel like it's just yeah. the most complex. And it can also be adapted to multiple cuisines across the world. I, you know, what? I, I, years ago I was filming in India. We were doing a, something on spices and 
we were staying at the, the Oberoi and I went in the kitchen, talked to the chefs and said, uh, you know, chefs, where did you do your training? Did you, uh, is there an Indian cooking school or what did you do? And they said, no, we, we studied French cuisine. So that's just amazing. Chefs in India, Indian chefs, of course, that are going to have an international career, mm -hmm. learned French cuisine. I was amazed at, because India has such an amazing cuisine. Yeah. But it's true once you learn the, learn the knife skills, once you learn to look at the change in the suspense. Mm -hmm. and, you can, if you have the skills, you can learn any cuisine so mm -hmm. much more easily. Mm -hmm. It's like once you speak two or three languages, you can learn another two or three easily. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about your very special link to Le Cordon Bleu. Well, uh, Le Cordon Bleu uh, at the moment uh, is the head of the Cordon Bleu. Cordon Bleu is uh, uh, André Cointreau. And when I was a young chef, uh, 52 years ago, his family, his dad, Max and André and, you know, his brother, uh, Edouard, uh, used to come uh, regularly to eat in the restaurant I was doing my apprenticeship. So we knew the family Cointreau by sight. We could see them in the dining room because, of course, it's from the Cointreau, the liquor Cointreau family involved with cognac and amazing liqueur. So uh, the first time I met André, like André, later on in my life, when he was head of the Condomble in Adelaide, uh, we had a wonderful talk because, you know, reminiscing of the, the time of our common region. You know, we were born in the same part of France, eating the same food as we were kids. and uh, and. He ate with his dad in um, in the restaurant. I, I learned my skills. Must feel really special that you know you yeah. had that connection all those years ago, and now you are still connected in some way or another through Le Cordon Bleu here in Australia, on the other side of the world. It is amazing. It's just to show uh, how this profession, what it opens to you. Mm -hmm. Not Absolutely. not only, of course, my wife is Australian, but as a chef. You, you can really live a, a very exciting international life. Gabrielle, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> we could go on forever. Um, but I guess to wrap things up, what would be your one piece of advice for um, chefs, whether they be um, just starting out in the industry or thinking about maybe um, forging a career in the culinary arts? What would be your number one advice to them? Well, the, my number one advice is what I'm still doing is that to never stop learning. Be curious. Um, at home, uh, I am testing new things all the time. There's always a new herb coolie you can make. There's always a new shape with pastry. There's always a new mold that you can try. There's always a new piece of equipment that you have never used before there's an, always a new ingredients that you not quite know the flavor so little by little by doing that you increase your repertoire and like a musician 
you know, at the beginning, you starting, you learning to use two or three ingredients in grade together. The musicians, you know, you learn a few notes and then you can uh, learn a, a small uh, recipe. And then you increase your repertoire and suddenly you become fluent in cooking. That means that when you see ingredients, you know how to put a dish together by just looking at the ingredients without to follow recipes in the same way as a musician can start playing music just like that because they have the knowledge. So it's like a language. Cooking is a language, a language that gives beautiful experiences. Um, so continue to, to learn. It's never ending. And the, the more you know, the more exciting it becomes. You know, the joys of cooking, they go until the end of your life. It truly is a lifelong journey. Well, thank you so much, Gabrielle, for joining us. And thank you for being or playing such a pivotal role in uh, the hospitality industry. We are very lucky to have you with us. So thank you. It was a great pleasure, Steph. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Mastery in the Making. If you found this discussion interesting and inspiring, don't forget to share, subscribe or tell a friend. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.